Hello, this is Zach Stahowski, co-host of Open Your Hymnal. Before our episode, I wanted to tell you about a special presentation we will be airing via Facebook Live. On Sunday, April 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern, I will be live streaming my parish presentation of the seven last words of Christ. Pray with us as we reflect upon these most sacred words with commentary drawn from renowned scripture scholar Arthur Zanoni. Our prayer will also be inspired and guided by Franz Josef Haydn's beautiful setting of the seven last words. I've arranged this music for violin and piano. Joining me is pianist Joy Menzel. Joy has played all over the world, including places like the Kennedy Center and the Castleton Festival. All you have to do to watch the live stream is like the Open Your Hymnal Facebook page and tune in to Facebook on Sunday, April 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome back, Open Your Hymnal listeners. My name is Zach Stahowski. And I am Matt Reichert. And we're happy to have you back with us. You know, Matt, um, every once in a while, a group like NPM or an archdiocesan magazine will put out a list, the top 10 most beloved church songs or the top 10 favorite hymns. And more often than not, I think we see that those lists are comprised of songs of comfort. Yeah, I, I'm thinking in particular of a list that NPM put out. You know, I mean, maybe a, a decade or so ago. And if you look at if you look at the list, sort of in its totality, you know, the top third, at least half of those songs were songs of comfort. I mean, I think that's that's really telling in terms of the the emotional, personal, spiritual connection and the times in people's lives um, when they really make a connection with this music. Yeah, I think uh, you know more often than not when when people come back to church or when they have a really life-changing experience of church, it's at a time when we're most in need of comfort. Yeah, that that need of, of walking with, of perhaps processing loss or grief. I, th- I think you're right. And I think, you know, especially today in, in today's church and people whose experience of, you know, practicing their faith or being in a, a faith community might be limited only to funerals or to these these sort of big moments. I think it's all the more important that we have that deep personal connection. And I think it speaks to the power of what music can do to illuminate those words of scripture that are so comforting. I think it puts it into a context. It helps to imprint it on our hearts and it makes it something uh, that we remember uh, something that we call back to when we find ourselves in other times of need. Absolutely. And and today, I think, you know, we're going to be discussing a song that, that's a great example of, of what we're discussing. We're going to be speaking with Tom Kenzia about a song that he wrote at a, at a real moment where um, words of comfort and a song of comfort um, was really needed. I, the Lord, am So please open your hymnal to I, the Lord. Hi, my name is Tom Kenzia. I am a composer uh, with Oregon Catholic Press. I have been composing music since 1980. 
I'm a music director in a parish in Kingston, Rhode Island. I'm a father and a husband. Follow me. I have started writing uh, liturgical music uh, out, of, out of necessity. I started working in a parish the year after I graduated from college and um, in 77. I got, graduated in 1976 and then I was broke and uh, my guitar students, I had a whole bunch of them from the same parish in Stanford, Connecticut and um, uh, found out there was a position open as music director and though I had no idea what I was doing uh, other than I was had a degree in piano and, and music education, I decided to take it. Um, and, and once I got there, I realized at that time in the late 70s, the only music that was really available there immediately to me was a box of, of older stuff from the 60s, a lot of FEL stuff. Um, the music from, I think, World Library back in the old days, and a copy of Earthen Vessels. And obviously, you know, at least in my years, the Earth and Vessels album was the really sort of so different from everything else, and I loved it. I really sort of it had a huge influence on on how I perceived how what, what liturgy and music could sound like in, in a very singable way and scriptural and scripture based. And and um, um, so anyhow, I just started writing, you know, because I thought I. Maybe I should I should do this. I mean, I I was I played by ear. I was writing in college anyway, pop music and, and songs and things and and classical you know form music anyway. So um, as it turned out, I had I had written about two or three pieces and my my aunt who lived next door to us, who was my godmother, uh, was in her early forties when she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So. Um, for some reason, uh, college is only about an hour and a half from my house, two hours. And I got home because, and I, I don't know if you guys ever, where you, when you grew up, you're, if you had immediate family like that lived next door, but it, in, in the area that I lived, all of our, most of our relatives were on the same street. So our, our extended family was, could have been very close. In this case, my aunt and uncle lived right next door. And that, since she was my godmother, she was off and I was, we were there all the time. So it was like another mother. You know, um, so when she was diagnosed with the cancer at 40, you know, it was, she had young kids, a young son who was very young at the time. And I, you know, I, I, she became very closer to me because of my work in the parish. Uh, and I guess she regarded me as being, you know, I could be helpful to her, you know, in trying to deal with all this. So I decided to write something for her to um, help her dealing with the, with the the reality that this is this was going to end you know her life was going to end as a young woman and um, I sat down and I just you know, I, I was writing on the guitar and the piano almost the same amount and um, part of part of the influence for that piece was uh, the Earthen Vessels guitar book had all these instructional pages on how to play these songs. And the John Foley songs were all, you know, different tunings and uh, open uh, D chords up and down the neck with open D string. And um, like Take Lord Receive is a great example of uh, sort of, he was a great guitar player, you know, for, and he wrote great songs on the guitar, Redeemer Lord, 
uh, all those, he actually was a better guitar player, I think, than a pianist at the time. But um, so most of his early pieces were guitar written uh, or driven for sure. So anyhow, I that song, I just I, I I felt more intimate to write something that because I wrote it for her while she was alive to give her hope, you know, about. Um, and I do recall the days before she died. Uh, a group of people from my church came back with me to the hospital, and we had a prayer service. One of the priests came with me, and we all sang "I the Lord" to her, you know, on her deathbed. But she she was you know, she was awake enough to you, you, to see the to to write something for somebody, and then you know, I did not write it for nothing was published yet, and I was not even thinking of that. It was just it was written for in this case for her. I am the resurrection and I am the life if you believe in me you shall You know, I would play it for a few people. And, um, at that point, I had become friends with um, the St. Louis Jesuits at an NPM the following the following year. I don't remember the chronology, but at some point, I was able to play it for other people. And um, then I made a cassette of my own of all of the the songs I'd written, about 12 or 14 songs that uh, I had not thought of getting, I mean, publishing wasn't on my radar. I just wanted to record them and have them. So I had access to a reel-to-reel four-track machine and figured out how to use it and did the sort of old, like, uh, Beatles process of doing three tracks, bouncing them to one, having three tracks free to doing two tracks, bouncing them to one, taking those tracks and mixing them back to two and, you know, going... By the time you were done, the quality was like, you know, hissola. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I the we, I was using it at mass for funerals, you know, um, soon after I wrote it. Really, you know, honestly, from the get-go for me, I I haven't written anything that gets sent to a publisher before I use it an awful lot because I really I hear what I did wrong. Somebody else doesn't have to buy it, you know, with those mistakes in it. It's interesting how Tom wrote this song for a very specific occasion, and yet it has found life beyond that occasion. I think of a few uh, of our episodes where we've learned that about songs. I think of Dan Schutte's Here I Am, Lord, which was written for an ordination ceremony, which has obviously found great life beyond that. I think of how uh, David Haas was writing You Are Mine to a very specific uh, instance in his life, and yet it has found universality. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what that suggests is that um, these songs have come from really an authentic place, right? I mean, when when Tom speaks about writing this song to help minister to and give comfort to his aunt who is in the process of dying, I mean, that is an authentic place where this this music is coming from. It's not it's not like someone came and said, hey, would you write this general generic type of song with this text, right? I mean, it's not a quota. It's not an assignment. It's it's coming really from the depths. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that so often we associate that we associate our own 
authenticity with our individuality. But I also think that this is an example of how when we truly express our authenticity, that we find so much common ground with each other, that we're able to empathize uh, with all of you know, the pains and the, the sufferings that we experience through our lives. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, um, the human experience or the human condition has these moments, regardless of of our opinions or our viewpoints or worldview, we all experience joy, we all experience pain, we all experience sorrow. I mean, I think this, this is really revealing in that way. For me personally, I have always been fascinated by the recording and production process. Uh, I remember as a teenager just spending untold hours uh, in my room with my Tascam 4-track just trying to recreate famous songs, uh, trying to write my own, just overdubbing and overdubbing and just being, you know, just falling in love with that process. So anytime we get to talk to... Uh, someone who has been steeped in the recording process, someone who has been such a noted producer, um, it's always interesting to me. And uh, Tom is one of those people. So I had sent two pieces into NPM for their second convention for a thing called the Live Hearing Competition that they had that year. And they chose two of them. That they, they won, and the, win- and the prize was the music was performed live at the conference at a session. And um, I had sent word to NALR. Hello, I'm Tom Kenzie. I sent it to Paul Quinlan, who was the producer of the music at the time there. And I had sent him the, a tape that, that I was just talking about before of all these songs. Um, and he, loved, he really liked the tape, and he came and heard the songs, these songs. And after a couple of months, I ended up getting a contract to do a, a recording, a first recording. And my conversations with him were to do the same kind of album like On Eagle's Wings and On Earthen Vessels, which is more, you know, uh, sounding like this is how you would do it in church, basically, with simple instruments, some strings, um, woodwinds and things, but basic, sort of bare-bones stuff, and but nicely recorded. So I get to Phoenix, and that's the plan, and, and here's that music, I, the Lord, and those songs, and um, I get there, and, and I was asked, you know, the company's looking for something different now. We're trying to see if there's a market for it. Lively, uh, like in contemporary Christian music, was really at the time just sort of becoming a, a thing where, where pop music was now Christian. There was a thing called that. And it wasn't for geared only for like older, older folks. It was for a younger group of, you know, Christians. Um, and it was the time when Amy Grant was just starting, um, uh, you know, the whole list of all those big names, contemporary Christian artists. Um, anyway, NALR decided that they wanted to, com- to sort of be in that market, and they felt that they were, since they had such a big, big piece of the pie with what they were already doing with Glory and Praise, that this that this would be the time. So, I wasn't really even asked if I would do this. They said. We want you to do this. We think you're it. We want you to do something different, you know. So um, 
it turned out to be a, an amazing experience because the album um, was like it was like everything but the kitchen sink on it. You know, we it was at a time when you know it was the late '70s, so that it, it was at a time when music was turning into the '80s style of music. You know, uh, big production. You know, uh, that was a natural thing to make it kind of this funky, funky thing. And I had sort of carte blanche in the studio. You know, small orchestra and band and choir with guitars and organ, Hammond organ, pipe organ. I mean, we used all kinds of stuff on it. Um, and it was a blast to do. Praise the name of the Lord. Sing with praise to our God. Make her world and heaven above. It was so far ahead of its time, though, for in the church that I... It set me back maybe 10 years because I, I, I got sort of known as this person who did that crazy album that nobody on earth could ever use. It's just too wild. So, But the music wasn't. So I, I insisted that they put out a version of the music as the way, the way I wrote it, not the way it was recorded. And then as time went on, people were starting to demand the charts because they wanted to use the charts the way it was recorded. So. And the producer ended up ill uh, with hepatitis of some sort, and he—he, he, I had to—he was on the recording for about a week of it. And Ray Bruno asked me, "Do you can you finish this by yourself in the studio? Do we, we need to get another producer?" I said, "Well, let me try. You know, the engineer felt that I could do it. Uh, he was a Hollywood engineer. He, his claim to fame was he did the arrangements for uh, a couple of big hits, uh, big pop hits like." In the year 2525. Do you remember that song? In the year He was the arranger on that album. You know, it was a big hit. And there was another one, Grazing in the Grass. I think he did that. That You know that song, the Umaskella? He did great work. I enjoyed working with him. It was, you know, to watch the process of laying down rhythm tracks then, you know, having doing like, in a Hollywood production. As we're talking about this concept of, of albums, Zach, obviously, you know, we think about the composer who writes the songs on this collection, but a role that has a significant amount of input and, you know, effect on that album is also the producer. So I'm wondering if you could maybe share with us, Zach, in your experience of recording sort of just what a producer does. Well, often the producer can fill a role that's purely administrative. They set the budget, they execute the budget. But oftentimes, and I think we see this a lot, especially in this kind of music, the producer has a very significant creative role in that uh, they'll help supplement the arrangements, they'll help to guide uh, the recording process, um, and uh, to make a lot of the engineering uh, decisions. I think it would be cool to look at a really specific example of the kind of imprint a producer can have on a song. There's a song called On That Day by Kate Cuddy. Uh, it appears on a couple of albums uh, with a couple of different producers. And I think you'll see that while the bones of the song are the same, a lot of the instrumentation, the arrangement are very different. And that's often the work of a producer. So this first example was produced by David Haas. 
And now this example was produced by Gary Daigle. Really interesting to hear examples like that, and I think it really helps us hear what a producer can do. Of course, for our song that we're discussing today, "I the Lord," there have been multiple different versions and recordings that Tom has done, and of course, the producer for each of those projects has also left their imprint. Well, okay, so it was originally released then on the second album called "No Greater Love," which "I the Lord" was. That's where it it, be, it became known. And it became very popular at that point, I have to say. I, Gary and I worked on Make Us One, Gary Daigle. And Make Us One was, I had talked Spirit and Song, OCP Spirit and Song, into letting me go back and, and re-releasing um, the songs on Light of the World in a more contemporary fashion. And there were nine songs on Light of the World. And I said, can I add I the Lord to this recording? Because I think it would be nice to do it another setting of it and Gary and I talked about it and Gary it was Gary's idea to to actually add that intro of um, of the you know John scripture that sets up I the Lord and with you always by your side do not be you know. do not be troubled put your trust in God your trust in me I have prepared a place for that where I am, you shall be. And that was great, great fun. Paul Melly played sax on it, uh, sang with me on it. Paul Melly, the artist, the GIA artist who lives in Massachusetts. So yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that album was done in Nashville. Great players, again, a whole whole new experience for me to do that stuff. Val Lamar sang on the album as well. It's clear that Tom has a wealth of experience, and of course, is just so talented in you know his compositional skills, his arranging skills, his production skills. It's pretty clear that he could really have a career in music, you know, doing all sorts of other things, right? I mean, he talked about his experience writing pop songs or, or playing, you know, concerts of secular music, etc. So we wanted to know, you know, why liturgical music? A uh, little bit more about his vocation story. And here's what he had to say. There are days when I know the answer to that question, and there are days that I'm not sure what the answer is. I you know, I, I think that people who are involved in ministry 
if they've spent their whole life in ministry, it's a blessing and a curse because for years people would say to me, why are you doing this? Well, you should be doing that. You know, you should be. And I said, I've done that. And honestly, quite frankly, you know, I've been very blessed. I've been able to to have, you know, a sort of a normal life with family and and still have my own recording studio, still have a job in the parish, and still have a very active presence in a field that I didn't choose. I I, I, I didn't choose this. I mean, I, I said yes to something, so... I was asked, I was invited in, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And now, here's a recording of I, the Lord, in its entirety. I, the Lord, am with you Always by your side Come and take
We'll be right back after a word from one of our sponsors. Hello, Open Your Hymnal listeners. We want to tell you about two important upcoming events that you do not want to miss. First, as Zach mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Open Your Hymnal is bringing you a special live prayer event, The Seven Last Words of Christ. Tune in on Palm Sunday, April 15th at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Visit our Facebook page for more information and to participate. Also, Zach and I will be presenting at the National Catholic Educational Association Conference in Chicago. The conference runs from April 23rd to the 25th, and if you'll be attending or in the area, we hope you'll stop by and say hello. Our guest today, Tom Kenzia, will also be presenting, and so will our friends, composers Andrew Chin and Oren Johnson. So make sure you check them out as well. We hope to see you in Chicago. I love it. Bet your bottom dollar you lose the blues in Chicago, Chicago, the town that Billy... Welcome back, Open Your Hymnal listeners. It is now time for the Open Your Hymnal playlist. This is the part of our show where Zach and I share with you additional music drawn from today's conversation. Zach, what is your first selection? Well, Tom is a frequent collaborator with a lot of artists and composers, so we wanted to feature one of those collaborations. This is Tom's song, Stand By Me, featuring Valimar Jensen. Stand by me, stand 
In addition to Tom's experience as a collaborator and as a producer, he is also a prolific arranger. So I wanted to feature his arranging skills here in this recording of Carrie Landry's song, I Will Never Forget You, with arrangement by Tom Kenzia. I will never forget you, my people. I have carved you on the palm of my hand. I will never forget you. I will not leave you orphaned. I will never forget my Does a mother forget her baby? Or a woman, the child within her womb? Yet even if these forget, yes, even if these forget, I will never forget my home. I will never forget you, my people. I have caught you on the palm of my hand. I will never forget you. I will not leave 
kicked off the episode by talking about songs of comfort, and one of my favorite recent songs of comfort has been by Jeannie Cotter. This is her song, Do Not Be Afraid. some of the first to really use contemporary or pop styles and idioms. And so I wanted to look at an artist today who uses more contemporary musical approaches. So this is from Sarah Hart and her album Sacrament. This is her song, Healed in Christ. Healed in Christ. 
gift of sweetest comfort in our suffering. God, we are afraid. You restore our courage. Though we are in darkness, bind our wounds with light. We are healed in In the episode, Tom makes mention of how influential the Earthen Vessels album was of the St. Louis Jesuits, so we wanted to include something from that album. 
So this is What You Hear in the Dark by Dan Schutte. What you hear in the dark, you must be. And we want to end today's playlist with another song of Tom's. Um, the song that I chose is one of the first Tom Kenzie songs that I ever learned. So this is his piece, We Will Want No More. you
Thank you for listening to Open Your Hymnal, and special thanks to Tom Kenzia for speaking with us. 
I, the Lord, is published by OCP. The recording you heard was released by OCP on the album Christ Within Me. For more information about this song, the other songs you heard, links to purchase this music, and additional resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. Production assistance and support for this episode was provided by OCP and the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and Google Play. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Zach Stahowski. And I'm Matt Reichert. Thanks for listening.